Hey, what's going on, guys? This is Josh again uh, with Beyond Medical School Podcasts. That's what I've decided to call it. Today, we're going to be talking about chromosomal structure. We're going to get into it. Um, before we get into it, I just want to rehash because I think it's important to have a basic understanding of basically like the building blocks of chromosomes, and that way you can understand like later on what chromosomal structures are. So let's remind ourselves, okay? DNA, right? DNA is made up of uh, basically um, nitrogenous bases, which can be either purines or pyrimidines, right? And these nitrogenous bases get uh, attached to a ribose sugar, and these are termed nucleosides. And when a nucleoside is attached to a phosphate group, it becomes a nucleotide, okay? And DNA is basically made up of two strands um, of uh, basically nucleotides in order, right? And these nucleotides uh, um, strands will bind to each other in an anti-parallel fashion, creating um, the classical DNA double helix, right? And they bind to each other using, uh, basically they covalently bond to each other using hydrogen bonds with, um, you know, uh, adenine binding to thymine and guanine binding to cytosine, okay? And um, what you should just remember is that uh, guanine, when it binds to cytosine, there's three hydrogen bonds between those two, right? Guanine being the purinine and cytosine being the pyrimidine. And these three hydrogen bonds are stronger. And this is why you get this like right-handed double helix, okay? Um, so we now understand DNA and what makes that up, right? Well, as DNA... Um, uh, basically gets really long, it has to find a way to organize itself. And that's where um, histones come into play, right? So DNA has this negative charge. And histones are positively charged due to their lysine and arginine residues, right? Histones are made up of uh, basically four core proteins. They're called H2A, H2B, H3, and H4. These are the core proteins. And then there's a linking protein termed H1, right? And basically, um, when you acetylate these histones, um, you take away their positive charge and basically you, it results in the DNA being less tightly bound to these histones, more likely to be transcribed. Anyways, we talked about that in a previous episode. What I want you to understand is as this DNA wraps around these histones, right, you get basically these huge, um, like DNA wraps around these huge dimers of these H2A, H2B molecules. And this is where the nucleosome is going to be, right? And as you wrap up more and more, you're going to end up making um, basically uh, multiple nucleosomes. And these are held together by these H1 molecules, okay? And then, and this is going to be termed uh, chromatin, right? These large clumped up um, uh, DNA around histones, Right? These like clumpings are termed, uh, are termed chromatin. And there's different um, types of chromatin. Some of them are more accessible than others. The euchromatin is going to be accessible for transcription, whereas heterochromatin is not going to be accessible for transcription. But as you, as you, so you basically are clumping up all this chromatin, right? And as you clump up the entire DNA strand, right? Which is, uh, it's basically two strands uh, bound to each other in anti-parallel fashion you'll create this uh, chromatin, and as you bind, bind up all this chromatin, you'll create a chromatid. And the chromatid is the entire sequence of DNA that's organized into this, like, chromatid, okay? So chromatids are interesting, right? 
the chromatid can hold the entire chromosome sequence. When DNA replicates, you'll have two chromatids, right? But you'll still only have one chromosome between those two, and they're termed sister chromatids, okay? Now, those sister chromatids are held together by this thing called the centromere, okay? And the centromere is important because this is where your mitotic spindle fibers are going to attach, which allows for the chromosomes to be pulled to opposite poles during anaphase of mitosis, okay? That might be a lot. We haven't really talked about mitosis still. I'm saving it. It's a huge topic, and I keep mentioning we'll talk about it. I swear to God, one of these days we're going to go over it. But the idea here is those sister chromatids are going to get pulled apart during anaphase um, at their centromeres, okay? And there's like different terms for describing where the centromere is along those chromatids. So if something's metacentric, right, that centromere is going to be located in the middle, meta for middle, and it's a metacentric centromere. You can have a sub-metacentric, which means that it's like slightly offset towards one end of that chromatid pair, those sister chromatids, and then you can have an acrocentric, which means like the centromere is literally on one opposite end, okay? Some other nomenclature that you should be aware of when we're talking about chromosomes is the long arm of the chromatids, right, are going to be uh, Q, and the short arm is going to be P. P stands for petite, okay? Other uh, nomenclature you should be aware of is when there's a T in the nomenclature, that means there's been a translocation. But I think without um, talking about mitosis or meiosis, the rest of this podcast might be difficult to understand. So I just want to give you a brief um, introduction um, to mitosis and meiosis and sort of the differences between them, the end result differences, um, as well as like a few key characteristics. So for mitosis, the big thing is, right, is you're going to have two, um, basically you're going to be um, replicating homologous chromosomes. So remember that like um, homologous chromosomes, we get a pair, we get a set from our mom and we get a set from our dad, right? Humans have 23 um, uh, from mom and 23 from dad, making a total set of 46 um, chromosomes, but 23 of those chromosomes are homologous, right? So like 23 homologous chromosomes means there's one from mom, one from dad for a total of 46 distinct chromosomes, right? And each of those chromosomes is going to get replicated, right? When they get replicated, they get made into sister chromatids. Does that make sense? So a sister chromatid, right, is going to make up one chromosome and we get two sets of chromosomes, okay? So when we replicate these in mitosis, the end, end goal is basically we're going to line up those chromosomes at the midline, specifically those homologous chromosomes are going to line up and then the sister chromatids are going to get pulled apart, okay? And all that's really going to happen then is you're going to, you're going to end up um, with two um, identical cell lines, right? So what we've done is we've replicated our chromosomes and then we split them in half. Each side gets half, and, but they're both the same, okay? In meiosis, what happens is we replicate our chromosomes, and then during meiosis one, we split up the homologous chromosomes. So, the, so in mitosis, remember, we split up sister chromatids. We don't split up the homologous chromosomes, though. In meiosis, in meiosis one, we split up the homologous chromosomes, and then uh, in uh, meiosis two, we split up sister chromatids. And what this results in is haploid cells, okay? The thing I want you to take away is during meiosis one, there's this thing where basically what can happen is these um, um, 
non-homologous um, these non-homologous chromatids can actually exchange information with each other. They can exchange arms, right? And when this is balanced, you end up getting like a um, exchange of information, but the full set of um, genetic structure is still there. However, when it's unbalanced, you've exchanged information in an unbalanced way. So that way, when you undergo meiosis too, there's actually not a full set of genetic information in those daughter nuclei in those gametes, okay? And that's what we're talking about with um, specifically with translocation. So it's the exchange of genetic info between non-homologous chromosomes through breakage and repair. When it's balanced, um, uh, the balanced translocation is when exchange fragments still function uh, despite being on another chromosome, and unbalanced translocations uh, are when those uh, uh, fragments no longer function properly. There's some examples. There's a thing called the Robertsonian translocation. This is balanced. It involves two acrocentric chromosomes, right? So these are going to be chromosomes 13, 14, 15, 21 should ring a bell, and 22. So this results in the loss of the short arm and fusion of two long arms of different chromosomes. And what happens here is basically you have this uh, translocation where you'll get a... Um, a translocation of the the long arm of the 21 right onto like let's say a translocation onto the 14 so now you have this long arm of the you have a, a, a complete copy of the 21 chromosome actually on chromosome 14 and then you also have um, a copy of just a normal uh, 21 chromosome um, uh, and then you also have another one from the um, uh, just like you know, when gametes uh, become zygotes, basically you get 21 chromosome from mom, 21 chromosome from dad, and then you also get this uh, translocated 14-21 um, chromosome from whichever parent, usually it's the mom, right? And this results in a trisomy 21. And this is, um, you know, actually super high yield. This is like classically tested on exam. It's something to know about. I highly recommend if you still don't understand through my description going online and looking it up and reading about it. It's super interesting but even more than that it's high yield. There will be a question on this on the exam. So you can also have a reciprocal translocation which is when the exchange of DNA between two non-homologous chromosomes occur. Um, Basically, as long as no DNA is lost, the phenotype is still normal for that generation. And this is a reciprocal translocation, right? It's between two non-homologous chromosomes, but because those two non-homologous chromosomes exchanged DNA, later on through meiosis, they end up still having a complete set of those genetic sequences in the gamete for later on, you know, zygote formation. So you can also have um, inversion, which is a type of rearrangement where part of the chromosome is inverted in its orientation. Uh, there's two types, pericentric or paracentric. Pericentric is when the um, inversion of the chromosome segment includes the centromere, um, you know, whereas paracentric um, is, uh, it does not include the centromere. And then the final one I want to talk about are deletions, which is just like a straight up loss of a chromosomal segment. Um, there can be a terminal deletion, which is at the end of the chromosome. Um, that's when the end of the term is, uh, end of the chromosome gets deleted. That's ter that's termed a terminal deletion. And then when the deletion happens within the chromosome, that's called an interstitial deletion. So these are the the general types of um, uh, chromosomal alterations. The big ones that I want you to focus on 
And if you still don't understand, are non-disjunction chromosome alterations, translocations, and then finally deletions. We'll see you in the next episode. We're going to be talking about chromosomal uh, diseases. Um, and uh, we're going to have some fun with this one because I think this is some high-yield stuff that's fun to learn about. So, all right, we'll see you in the next episode. That's going to be episode number 22.